Have you ever wondered how to determine the right price for a naming opportunity in your new building? Well, if you have, stick around. We're going to give you the answer right now. Welcome to All About Capital Campaigns, a podcast that provides fuel for your nonprofit's growth. Each week, Andrea Kilstead and Amy Eisenstein, co-founders of the Capital Campaign Toolkit, provide practical tips about raising more money for your nonprofit organization. Here are your hosts, Amy and Andrea. Hi, I'm Amy Eisenstein. I'm here with my colleague and co-founder, Andrea Kilstead. And today we're going to talk about donor stewardship and why it's important during a campaign. Andrea, why don't you kick us off? Thanks, Amy. Yeah, this is a great topic. I mean, honestly, I think that some of the most fun parts of capital campaigns are figuring out how to thank donors and how to stewardship, how to steward them and how to how to make them feel appreciated. I mean, that's the fun part of fundraising. And with a capital campaign where people have often given so generously over and above what they usually give, there's particular sweetness in being able to do that. So let us first talk about how to figure out how much a room costs. Yes. Of course, that's really the wrong question, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It is the wrong question. Actually, let me tell you a funny story before you tell us how to figure that out. So I was talking to a prospective client the other day, and they told me that they had asked the builder how much the materials to build a room cost and had asked the donor for that amount. Um, And I just, you know, I wanted to bang my head against the desk because the poor thing had asked the donor for $10,000 for this room because that's how much the building materials cost. In fact, the room price for sponsorship for naming opportunities should have been, you know, $100,000, 10 times what it actually costs. So no, it doesn't actually have to do with how much it costs to build the room. So why don't you talk about how well, to figure it out? Yeah, I mean, the other misconception, I'll give you one more misconception that happens, which is the, the sense that when a donor sort of gives a gift and to name a room that the donor thinks they have bought the room. Yes. Right? I mean, that's a problem. So in a campaign I did years ago, a donor gave a generous gift to fund a chapel in a hospital, right? A non-denominational chapel in a hospital. It was a wonderful and a generous gift. The challenge came later when she thought that she could make all the decisions about decorating it. Yes. Selecting the furniture, selecting the art for the, you know, for the walls. And she was sure it was her chapel. It wasn't the hospital chapel. And it had been a miscommunication because, of course, naming opportunities are not buying spaces. They are not paying for spaces. Naming opportunities are donor recognition opportunities. They're opportunities to recognize people's generosity by connecting their names with particular spaces in the building, if you have a building campaign. Now, my friend Bob Pierpont, from whom I learned a huge amount, used to say that naming opportunities are based on what he called checks appeal. Mm, Okay. By which he meant that spaces that had the biggest um, visibility, the best visibility, went to the donors whose checks were the biggest, right? right? Who gave the largest gifts to the campaign. 
So if there's a lobby or an entryway that everybody goes by as they walk into the building, even if it's a fairly small space, right, that entryway will have an outsized price tag on it. It will take a big gift to name that because it will be very visible. Right. I think that's a perfect, right. The perfect example, the smaller, you know, proportionally smaller. Now, as we talk about proportional giving, right. What do we think about? We think about the primary capital campaign tool, which is the gift range chart. Now, Amy, you want to tell people what a gift range chart is just in case they don't know. And I hope. Yeah. I I think it's important for us when we use jargon to explain it. So, you know, the gift range chart goes by many names. People call it the gift table or the gift pyramid. But basically, it is a chart that outlines the number of gifts and the gift sizes that you need in order to accomplish your campaign. So for example, I'm going to use small round numbers. If you're raising a million dollars, that's your goal. You might need one gift of two hundred dollars or $250,000. You might need three gifts of 100000 and four or five gifts of five hundred and on down. So a few gifts, a few large gifts at the very top and slightly more gifts as you go down in amount and then a lot of gifts at the bottom for your base. And that chart becomes the roadmap for your entire campaign. I think many people in the fundraising world know what those charts are, but they don't understand how important they are. They don't understand that they can guide everything, including donor recognition to get to the topic, right? You can design and you should design your donor recognition program based on the levels of giving for your gift range chart. So you should think about recognizing people in different ways at the top of the chart, in the middle of the chart, and at the bottom of the chart, because you can't recognize the 400 people who will give you small gifts in the same way that you can recognize the 20 people who will give you large gifts. So if you're going to develop a donor recognition program, pull out your gift range chart and think about it. Think about organizing it according to the levels of giving that are laid out in your in your gift range chart. Now, you should also develop your naming opportunities list. That is pulling out the names of the spaces in your building, how big a gift you're going to need for each of those spaces based on the gift range chart. So for example, to use Amy's example, if there is one gift of a quarter of a million dollars at the top of that million dollar campaign, you need at least one naming opportunity for a quarter of a million dollars. If there are two gifts at $100,000, you need at least two naming opportunities for $100,000. If there are four gifts of $50,000, you need at least four naming opportunities for $50,000 and going down. So the typical pattern is to pull out the plan, the architectural plan of your building and make a list of all of the places that you think could be naming opportunities, starting with the flagpole and the lobby and the, <laughs> and the reception desk and the, the elevator banks and the, and the exam rooms or the classrooms or the, or the garden or the, right. I mean, just make as list as many things as you possibly can and then put them in the order of checks appeal. Right. Right. Checks appeal. Visibility. Are the visibility, which ones have the most visibility. 
and then make sure that you have at least one naming opportunity correlating to each of the gifts on your gift range chart down to the level below which you will not give a naming opportunity to a specific space, right? And you'll see, you know, if you need, I don't know, you need 15 gifts of $10,000, you may not have 15 naming opportunities that are appropriate at that level. So you're no longer going to be putting individual plaques in individual rooms at that at those levels. So that's the way to figure out how to put a dollar amount, a giving gift dollar amount on a particular room in the building to recognize your donors, not right. by talking to the contractor. <laughs> or, by, or making it up. Or making it up, right? And, and once you have that list of naming opportunities, you do want your board to look at it and approve it because you don't want to be negotiating with donors. So if a donor says, well, I'd like to name the auditorium, but I don't want to name it for a quarter of a million dollars. I'll give you $100,000. You need to be able to say, you know what? This list has been approved by our board. And, you know, I can't go and make changes to it now because it unravels the entire sense of these naming opportunities, right? Our board has taken a close look at this. So you protect yourself that way. I love that. I mean, there is a method to the madness. It is not random and arbitrary. You are following your gift range chart, which is essentially the backbone of your campaign plan. And so these gift naming opportunities have a direct correlation to the gift range chart. And, you know, people will say, well, we don't, you know, if we want to let somebody name the building, how much is that? Well, what's your top gift? And that's what you get to name the building. You know, that's often what you get to name the building for. And it should be at least about 25% of your campaign goal to name the building. Now, I do want to acknowledge that there is a lot of important discussion happening these days around the issue of DEI and donor recognition. And many organizations are opting not to go with these traditional naming practices, which is fine. And and good if that's appropriate in your community for your organization. And I think that there are emerging lots of different ways to think about donor stewardship and recognizing donors at all levels of the campaign. But we do want to acknowledge and explain what some of the traditional ways are and give you the opportunity to think outside the box of how you're going to proceed once you have all the options in front of you. Yeah, it's so so important, Amy. You know, I while there are some organizations that really are reconsidering whether they will do naming opportunities, and I hope more of them do reconsider, honestly. It is just a few so far, right? I find that there is a worry, you know, that that donors will be upset that donors want naming opportunities. Honestly, in my view, many fewer donors give because of naming opportunities. That's not why they give. It's a it's a donor recognition plan, but most many donors are perfectly happy to have you recognize them in other ways, right? You don't need to offer n- naming opportunities for many organizations. Some donors care, but You know, unless you're talking about an organization with really high visibility where donors are, you know, maybe they're corporate donors. Of course, corporate donors are looking for more visibility. They may be giving out of their marketing or advertising budgets. That's a different story. But many individuals are happy to give quietly and to be recognized in ways that are more personal. 
and less visible. It's uncomfortable for some donors to be recognized visibly. And I think we need to look carefully at that these days. I'd like to see more more people sort of think, sort of look at different ways to do that. Yeah. So, so far in our conversation, we have focused on room naming opportunities, but stewardship is so much more than that. To me, it's about everything that happens after a donor makes a gift. So how are we ensuring that that donor knows how their money was used. I mean, it's more than donor recognition. It's more than a plaque on the wall. So, you know, one one of these wonderful little organizations, it's a it's a soup kitchen and hunger organization. And they have a culinary school where they are teaching people to be sous chefs um, in order to help with employment opportunities. And they have a baking unit and they send their donors wonderful cookies. And to me, you know, it's showing how the money's used, that people are doing wonderful work, acknowledging that they're part of the process and that they're an important part of the organization. So to me, there's many, many opportunities to both recognize your donors, acknowledge them, let them know how their gift was used and the impact that they're having. You know, these people are going to be employed in more meaningful ways because donors support this organization. It's not just about giving them a meal, although that's a critically important component of the project. It's also about providing employment skills. And, you know, these cookies are better than any cookies you'll find anywhere. So um, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So if you can connect your stewardship to your programs and services, I mean, I never forget a children's choir, you know, they recorded a a concert and you could have a concert at home. And how wonderful was that? If you didn't make it to the concert, you could still enjoy the the music from the comfort of your own home. There's many ways to share the impact, the benefits uh, that you as donors are making. You know, I think we often forget the simplest ways to recognize people, Amy, and sometimes I think they're the most powerful. Um, For example, when a an organization gets a a grant, a new gift of some sort, a big gift. One of the organizations I work with got a big gift today. I just heard about it today. And the executive director is going to take the time to send about a half a dozen personal emails to people who have already made significant gifts to this organization to let them know, to let them be the first to know. Yes. And there is something about being treated as an insider that is wonderful donor recognition that they are no longer just out there, right? But that the executive director actually is thinking about them. So it's not a mass email. He's going to individualize very quickly, just a whole bunch of little bitty emails to people who have already been so generous to say, I thought you'd like to know that we're up to this amount of money. And today we heard about a new gift of such and such, you know, and you've been so wonderful in helping us get to this place so far. That's powerful. That is powerful. I love that. So simple. Well, and I just want to share that this is not something that you do on the fly. This is something that is carefully and thoughtfully planned out in advance of your campaign. You don't want to be scrambling after you get gifts to figure out how you're recognizing donors. So members of the Capital Campaign Toolkit do have templates and samples and guidelines on how to think about creating their stewardship plans, their stewardship activities. 
so that they are well prepared as they enter into the campaign, not as they're finishing and wrapping up their campaign thinking, oh my gosh, how are we going to thank our donors or what are we going to do to share the impact? But the plans are created in advance, developed using the templates that are inside the toolkit so that they have that plan and that recognition all laid out in advance. Yeah. I mean, to go back to the example that I just gave, my client, they have kept from the beginning an e- a list, a list of people and emails of people who give over a certain amount. So the list is accessible and easy to pull up. And it becomes very easy for him to have a list of those emails that he can individualize little, little emails to. Right now, that was determined in advance, not after the fact. So he's not having to scramble to say, well, who should I send these things to? They've actually were thoughtful about about having a system or a process by which they keep track of the people who are giving at the higher levels, specifically for these little touches from the campaign chair or the executive director. Excellent. So I want to remind listeners, if you are thinking about a capital campaign or planning a capital campaign or just getting started on your capital campaign and you do want some support or guidance or advice around this, we do offer free strategy sessions to discuss your campaign and answer any questions you have. So I want to encourage you to head on over to the Capital Campaign Toolkit website and visit us and sign up for a free strategy session to discuss the specifics of your campaign. Excellent. I think this was a great conversation on stewardship. It's really important to think about this as you're planning your campaign. Yeah, don't just go into a campaign and figure we're going to steward people later. Go into a campaign and as you're planning the campaign, plan your donor recognition stewardship right in advance. That doesn't mean you can't change it as you go, but go in with an intention that this is what you're going to do and this is how you're going to do it. And that's going to keep stewardship right in the forefront of your mind from the very beginning when you're first soliciting those largest gifts all the way through to the end. That's going to make everyone involved in your campaign feel happy that they were a part of what you've done. And that's going to make them want to be part of your next campaign as well. And that's super important. Excellent. Thanks so much, Andrea. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks for joining Amy and Andrea for today's All About Capital Campaigns. To learn more about them and their work together, go to CapitalCampaignToolkit.com. You can hear more from Amy and Andrea on a live webinar they host every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. You can join the live sessions and get your questions answered by signing up today at ToolkitTalks.com. And please like, rate, and review us on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you.